Whoa, I love it! Humanity has awakened. We are rising from the sleep. This is an incredible time to be alive, and we're gonna discover just who's on our side and who isn't. We have all seen the corruption. Our elites are out of control, and yet the referendum still falls on us, we the people, to choose better for ourselves and this nation. This is the most dangerous time in American history. Plans have been made, agendas set into motion, our freedoms and well-being hang in the balance. And now is the time when things are shifting. We're gonna, there's gonna be a new, a new world order out there. The mainstream media lies and defends the corruption with little to no shame. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. Elected officials target their political opponents with lawfare. The courts see it through, knowing full well the threat it poses to the very fabric of America. Big tech, big pharma, big finance, all conspire with the federal government to suppress and omit certain information when they see fit. More corrupt than any of that is this idea that your citizenship is global. Your citizenship is not global, it's national, and it has a value. That value begins with the competence of a country's government and security of its border, both physically and economically. We are not slaves, we are not serfs. Our children are not sexual experiments. We cannot submit to being guinea pigs for mad scientists. We cannot allow ourselves to be othered by virtue signaling tech nerves. We cannot bend the knee for totalitarian governments like the CCP or any other international body. Free the Uyghurs, two million ethnic minorities in East Turkestan, China, in, in concentration camps. Something we gotta talk about, you know, free the Uyghurs. We are American citizens and that means something or at least it will when you have America first leaders. And to destroy the Democratic Party as a national political institution, root and branch, from the Rio Grande Valley all the way up to Royce White running against Omar in Minnesota. My name is Royce White. I'm running for United States Senate in the great state of Minnesota, my home, against Democrat Amy Klobuchar, to represent the common interests of the American people and fight the momentum of tyranny. Please join us at RoyceWhite.us for more information. The fight continues. Godspeed. Welcome back to another episode of Please Call Me Crazy. There you just saw my Senate campaign launch video. We're happy to have launched today. We are very excited about the launch and I'm happy with the way the video turned out, but I'm also very happy with the way the website turned out. If you haven't already, visit RoyceWhite.us. You can find out more about the campaign, how to donate, how to contribute, how to volunteer, how to sign up for email. The list goes on and on and on and on. But most importantly, you'll see a lot of content about the platform that I'm running on and the things that I want to accomplish if I'm able to be victorious against Amy Klobuchar and run uh, uh, in my run for, for United States Senate. Um, <clears throat> I don't think the video could have been more timely. We didn't really plan to launch today. We, we Over the last couple of days, we were planning to launch and, and you know certain things had to be ironed out behind the scenes with the website and the video. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, so... Um, we didn't necessarily plan on launching this morning, uh, but, but just like when I ran for Congress, it kind of came to a head and, and you've got to finally just press go. Um, and I don't think there's a more timely 
I don't think there could have been a more timely moment to launch the campaign, especially given the context and the content of the launch video. Um, this is exactly what we're going through in this country right now is lawfare. Lawfare. Lawfare that's waged by political elites, corrupt political elites, and it's seen through, it's 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 upheld, it, it, it's uh it's aided and abetted by courts of law. And and I, I don't know how else to I mean it's almost like how else can I say it? Right. We're living in a police state. And and the police state, the outgrowth of the police state doesn't just happen when you're pulled over by a cop who's, you know, has problems with, with I don't know, insecurity, inferiority, um, home issues, marriage issues, family issues, childhood trauma, was bullied, was a bully. I, it doesn't just start there. And the outgrowth doesn't stop there. The outgrowth is and always was going to end exactly where it is right now, right here today. Colorado, right out in the open, Colorado disqualifies Donald Trump from being on the ballot. Out with the Constitution. Right in front, right up in your face. Right up in your face. You, you shouldn't have to be the biggest Donald Trump fan. You shouldn't have to be the biggest Donald Trump supporter. You shouldn't, you don't even have to like Donald Trump at all to understand what's happening now is a danger and a threat to all of us. And that's exactly what I try to articulate in the, in the launch video. And I hope it's getting through. And I will campaign every, every corner of the state of Minnesota to find out where people really are on this referendum about the police state, about the lawfare legal system, uh, and, and most importantly about corrupt, crony capitalist politicians like Amy Klobuchar who came into the Senate, or the Congress for that matter, uh, you know, with a certain net worth and will surely leave tens of millions of dollars richer while preserving a status quo. And at the behest of who? I mean, we can all talk about it. I'm glad Vivek Ramaswamy pointed it out. I'm glad Vivek Ramaswamy talked about the, the, the corruption of finance, uh, of elections, election finance. Each end of, I mean, this tells you that we live in a corporatocracy. We don't have to look any further. We don't have to look at the NBA. We don't have to look at Pfizer. We don't have to look at BlackRock. We can look at all of them and we can see exactly who they are and exactly what they're doing and exactly what their agenda is. But we don't need to look at them to understand that we live under a corporatocracy. All you have to do is look at our election and campaign finance laws. You, you, the individual citizen. You, the working class, you, the little guy, you, the everyday, ordinary American citizen can only contribute, I don't know, $3,300, $3,400, which most of you don't have anyway, because let's face it, the average American citizen or the average American family can't put $500 cash, cash together in a crisis. This is per the statistics of the Federal Reserve and, and uh, you know, uh, other, other financial institutions. So you're, you're strapped for cash anyway. <clears throat> but your everyday average citizen can only contribute 
to $3,500 respectively in each election, one primary, one general, if you're lucky enough to make it through a primary and become the, uh, the, the, the candidate or run in the general. Um, you can only contribute so much. But corporations, or let's say individuals within corporations can contribute as much as they want to through these super PACs. And everybody assumes the super PACs are, uh, you know, fair deal. Well, they're a fair deal unless you, unless you, again, hijack the universities and you have the dominant professional political economic class in the country leaned way over in one direction of the political spectrum. And those people with their businesses and friends and fraternities and all these other, all these other alliances, all these other economic alliances create a sort of hegemony of political influence. Lobbyism. The lobbyism in this country is obscene. It's obscene. It's disgusting. Raphael Warnock raises $250 million. $250 million for a Senate race? $250 million Raphael Warnock raised in the Senate race there in Georgia against Herschel Walker in a swing state that ended up deciding the election in, in many regards, in some regard. It was definitely a big piece of deciding the election on paper. Now we find out that, that the ballots or that a number of ballots were in question, a number well over the margin between Donald Trump and Joe Biden in, in, in Georgia. 250 plus million dollars for a Senate race. It's obscene. We're allowing people to buy elections. I knew, I knew right then when I saw the amount of money that was raised for Raphael Warnock, the type of character assassination campaign that was, that was, that was waged on Herschel Walker. His son, the, the, the Twinkle Toes son that they rolled out and, and did a, 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 a tell-all in the in the in the latest stages of the campaign, you know, did did one of these, uh, you know, I got the T uh, expose expose my dad for not being there for me, tell all. Well, I forgot what the kid's name is. Kicked me off of a Twitter space. He had a Twitter space one time. I jumped right in and called him a sellout. Sell out on a multi multitude of fronts. And I don't even know if what he's saying is true or not. I could just tell back then the energy of it wasn't real, wasn't real genuine. And so they roll him out. And I didn't even particularly think Herschel Walker was an incredible Senate candidate. I didn't think Herschel Walker was a particularly um novel thinker or or insightful um, you know insightful individual. But irregardless, I thought Herschel was trying to say some things that, that needed to be said, and I thought he was on the right side of the line. And they showed you right there in Georgia. They showed you in Georgia that when push came to shove, when the, when the 
when the races get close, when, when we're in the dead heat, they have no problem. They have no problem with using every resource they have to defeat us. And so it was a it was it was bittersweet. It was bittersweet in that I, I understood as everybody else should when they watched the 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 Senate runoff there in Georgia between Walker and Warnock that we're living under a corporatocracy and that the corporate community in this country had way more influence than 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 is remotely appropriate for this nation. Way more influence. It's not even remotely appropriate how much influence corporate America has on our, on our policy, on our government. Not remotely appropriate. But, but the sweet part of it, the sweet part of what, what, what I saw there in that Senate race was they had to go out of their way in order to defeat Herschel Walker. And I'm going to make them go well out of their way in order to defeat me. And there's value in that. And if you don't understand the value in it, then you've taken the human, the human part out of our elections. You've taken the human part out of our governance. You've taken the human part out of citizenship. We can't remove, we can't remove the humanity of our citizenship. If we do that, we might as well sign up to, to you know, serve at the feet of the robots. As soon as you concede that we should take the humanity out of the most essential systems and mechanisms of governance and citizenship, we might as well live at the feet of AI. We might as well live at the feet of the Marxists. We might as well live at the feet of the military-industrial complex. We might as well concede that the human existence can be reduced down to price that the human existence can be reduced down to materialism. You may not understand what I mean, but when you, you know, people will look at Herschel Walker and say, oh, well, you know, we, he lost, or at the end of the day, you know, he wasn't successful. It was a success. Herschel Walker was able to run a good enough campaign to force the establishment to show every last one of you out there just how corrupt things have gotten. The question is, did you actually get the message? And we need, we need troops like that. We need people who are willing to, I don't know, deal with the, the, deep, the deep shame of losing an election when we all know the system is rigged. Herschel Walker didn't, it wasn't a failure. He didn't lose. He exposed the system. He exposed some of the controlled opposition. He exposed some of the conservatives. But most importantly, he exposed that the, the financial, the campaign finance norm, the, the campaign finance culture in this country has gotten way too influential. Has, has become way too corrupt. It's corrupt. It, it's corrupt. You $250 million in a runoff for a Senate race. I mean, that's the tell right there. That's the tell that the election was very close. 
that they at least that they thought it was going to be very close and they needed to and were willing to pull out every stop possible to ensure that Donald Trump would not be victorious. And it ended up being, what, 30,000 votes? 20,000 votes? Now, what people don't realize is even if I say 30,000 votes, that's really a 15,000-vote swing, potentially. If 15,000 people, less people vote for my opponent, potentially they vote for me. So there's the vote, the ballot cast it, but there's also the potential of swing. And, and we don't know who, which, which of those voters are potential swing voters or not. We don't know how many people come out and cast their ballot, would only cast a ballot for the Democrats no matter what, or would only cast a ballot for the Republicans no matter what. We don't know. We don't know. It's hard to say who to listen to on that front in that regard. The exit polls? And I'm not saying exit polls aren't worth anything, but man, talk about the opportunity to deceive and misinform. And so we find ourselves now, two years later, after Raphael Warnock was able to raise a quarter of a billion dollars for a Senate race. A quarter billion. The man raised a quarter of a million dollars for a Senate race in Georgia. Here we are, two years later, and they don't even feel comfortable with the margin of corporate community uh, influence and lobbying. They don't even feel comfortable that the majority of, of hyper-corporate money tends to lean in the favor of, of the establishment at current. At least that's the way it looks. And we don't even have to just talk about the Democrat establishment. Let's just say that the globalist corporate community leans in one way towards the uniparty. I'm not even hung up in the Democrat-Republican thing. You know, when you see the Cokes come out and support Nikki Haley, there, there, there it is. When you see the owner of LinkedIn Throw money behind Nikki Haley. Uniparty. Uniparty, uniparty, uniparty. You got to say it three times like Beetlejuice. It's old, it's decrepit, and it's hard as hell to kill. The uniparty. So I'm not even caught up with the Democrats and Republicans. Let's just say... Let's just say that the globalist corporate community leans in one direction and it leans heavily towards the uniparty. We have to decide right now, are we going to fight or are we going to lay down? They could throw as much money as they want at the thing. Our founding fathers set it up in a way where we the people still get to choose. We get to cast a vote. But at current, the level of legal lawfare and corruption within our political elite, within our legal system as well, the level of corruption may inhibit some people from casting their their vote. 
I mean, we've gotten to the point now in 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 the this Colorado situation where the elite, the establishment around us, above us, on high, has actually trampled all over our God-given right, our constitutional right, God-given, to even participate when it comes to the vote in some cases. Now, does that mean you shouldn't go vote because it's rigged? No. Does that mean you should play into the propaganda that Donald Trump isn't going to win because the lawfare is going to prevail? No. There's going to be a fight. There's going to be a, a significant legal fight, and we're going to get to see who the Supreme Court is. And I, for one, like that. I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about what's taking place in our country in general, which is why I'm running for Senate, and I definitely despise the lawfare that's being waged against conservatives, which is why I said it in my launch video. But part of me, part of me is happy that this is happening. You may not, maybe you don't understand that. I, I, I get it. I get you say, no, there's nothing good about what's taking place. First of all, there's always some good in everything that takes place. The question is, can you see it? The silver lining. The silver lining here is, we get to see who the Supreme Court is. We're going to get a good chance to see who the Supreme Court is. That, and that's a necessary thing for us to see. Because I'll tell you this, when the, when the judicial branch, the legislative branch, and the executive branch are all in harmony to undermine your citizenship, we may need to have a whole different conversation about what to do next. The conversation about what to do next needs the important information of where the Supreme Court really stands. And too often, in my opinion, the Supreme Court gets to hide. You know, they 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 get to hide in the in the you know in the 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 the, the minutia, the minutia of uh, well, you know. You know, there's all these other district courts and all these other people and all this other stuff that has to happen before we have to really throw down on the issue. And then we can decide whether or not we even want to engage in the issue, whether it's even right or respond. Well, right here, right now, I don't think any American citizen, any American citizen could could justify how the Supreme Court should stay out of of intervening or at least ruling on a matter like this. In either direction. Now, it seems very clear to me, as it should to everybody, what's going on here. But again, some people are so caught up in their, in their, their blind hatred of Donald Trump. And, well, you know, when I really start to look at it, this is part of what drew me, this is part of what drew me over to the other side of things. You know, not that I was ever really on the other side of things, because remember, I was talking about globalism in the NBA before people were even talking about globalism. Um, I was saying that the NBA was was the representative of a global corporate community, a corrupt global corporate community uh, and back in 2012. So I was never really on the other side of things, but I definitely have become much more 
favorable towards Donald Trump, and half of it is seeing them go after him so blatantly. It makes me know that either, even if you want to say, well, he's, you know, he comes from inside or he, he was an insider or whatever you want to say, when people start to go after you the way that they're going after him, obviously any former allegiances have been broken. I had this conversation with somebody who went, well, you know, he's a billionaire and he was in the real estate and blah, 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 blah. You know, all of his friends, look at who he says his friends are openly and blah, blah, blah. Obviously, his friends aren't sticking, uh, staying, uh, aren't standing by him. A lot of his friends won't stand by him anymore. And they want to use that as an indictment of him. <laughs> but I question who his friends were in the first place. And I think he is now. And I think he is now, too. They'll use Chris Christie as an example. Oh, Chris Christie was a supporter of Donald Trump. He campaigned for him. You know, he was, uh, you know, one of one of Donald Trump's biggest advocates early on. And look at what he's saying now on MSNBC. Look, if they let you come on MSNBC, first of all, if they let you come on MSNBC at all, we should be skeptical. If they let you come on MSNBC as a Republican to badmouth Donald Trump, we know exactly who you are. If they let you come on MSNBC at all, we should be skeptical. Because the real hitters, like myself, they won't even interview me. Because they're so, they're so afraid of what I'll be able to articulate on a platform like that. Honestly. But if you're... Uh, if you're invited to come on MSNBC as a Republican or conservative, specifically to badmouth Donald Trump, we know exactly who you are. And I can't believe that Chris Christie is allowed to talk about being fit for office. I, I honestly, as an American citizen, I'm just an ordinary guy. I grew up in a blue collar community. I was raised by a single mother. I was raised by the village, but I was raised by a single mother for the most part. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm just a regular guy. I can't, for the life of me, believe. I can't sit by and watch with a straight face Chris Christie, of all people, talk about being fit for office. It, it's, it, it's laughable. It's, it's, like a, it's like a parody. You're talking about a man who is at least 150 to 200 pounds overweight. Seriously, he looks like Dr. Robotic. I mean, it's just, he's all, he's all stomach. He's, he's just, he's just round. He's as round as, as you could possibly be, as you could reasonably, reasonably be. And I'm not supposed to say that. I'm supposed to act like okay. So Donald Trump's uh, Donald Trump's use of of profanity or his 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 you know I don't know tweets or whatever the case may be is supposed to be some indictment of his his character at a level to where anything he says that's true or positive we should look we should disregard. But quite obviously. People like Chris Christie are having a significant problem with the impulse of eating and, and food, a basic impulse issue. I'm not saying it's a basic issue like it's an easy one to deal with. What I'm saying is, I mean, it's just basic in that it's one of the basic things of life. Are you going to eat too much or not? 
Are you going to eat the right things or not? Are you healthy or aren't you healthy? And I got to watch Chris Christie lecture me in the country about who's fit for office? You can't fit in an office. You can't fit in a chair. The debates would be over. The Republican, the Republican debates would have been over for Chris Christie had they made them had they made them sit down at a table. And some of you may not, you know. And then I saw uh, another good example. This this is a real example. I'm gonna have to post. I'm gonna put this into the video. I'm gonna put this into the podcast after we get done recording because I didn't have it preloaded. But there was a there was a clip that I think CNN posted from the town hall where a guy named Riley, Riley was his name. He was from Iowa. Riley from Iowa got up and he asked a question to Vivek about his tact and, and uh, you know, his, his composure, let's say, uh, and, and being presidential. Another sort of dog whistle to the who's fit for office crowd, which is just another way to say who's polished and polite and puppet enough to be a politician I feel comfortable voting for to, to scapegoat my, uh, my citizenship onto a corrupt status quo, a corrupt elite. But, but, and he asked, he asked him, he says, you know, do you think that you've, uh, do you think that you've abandoned a sort of tact that, that, that most people or that I would find presidential, you know, sort of being calm, cool, and collected? Calm, cool, and collected. So let me get this right. The entire American political culture is now at the place where if you use profanity, if you, if you fly off the cuff, if you, you, know, if you, if you attack your, your political opponents in, a, in an election, you know, the other candidates in the field, if you attack them on the merits of them speaking the truth or coming before the American people, and just outright lying, all of a sudden you don't have enough tact or, or gravitas to be, to be a, this is the problem with America. This is what we've done to ourselves. This is exactly how we got here. We've set a threshold on what we want to see people say and do. We, we've set a threshold on how far we want to see people go in opposition of, of, of corruption in their fight against corruption. There is, no, there is no far enough. And if there is a far enough out there, we certainly haven't reached it. I tell people all the time, they, you, you, you guys think Donald Trump is like hardcore. He's mostly just sarcastic. I mean, he, he kind of just plays around with, with, with the journalist and with the media and, and, and with, he's really more sarcastic than anything. He really actually he he actually tries to play the game of of uh, of what they would say looks presidential more than anybody wants to give him credit for. He's actually very relaxed on most shit, especially through this ninety one indictments taking the man off of the ballot. I'd say he's mild. He's definitely mild compared to what you would have got from me, and what you will get from me in the future. Now, Donald Trump's 75-plus years old, so part of it is, is just the age and, and maybe the energy to, to, to fight all of these battles at, at, that, at that level. 
But the reality is there's no far enough. And my point in bringing it up again is I never like to just point out the, the, the enemies, the boogeyman. We know who they are. The question is, what are we going to do? The referendum is on us, just like I said in the, in the launch video. The referendum is on us. We the people. We the people going to let them tell us there's a level of anger that we need to, that we need to stop at. There, there's a, and, and, don't, and I said before in the podcast, I'm not calling for violence. People who do that, they glow. We don't need to be. We haven't even begun to push back in, in our political activism. We haven't begun to reject this establishment and this corruption from a political activist standpoint in any real substantive way yet. We haven't even begin to, begun to scratch the surface, honestly, to be having this emotional intemperance like it's all or nothing right now. I hate when I hear people or see people say that, especially online. Oh, well, you know, it's, you know they're going to find out. They're going to fuck around and find out. Over my dead body, over your dead body, what are y'all what, what waiting on? Yeah, honestly, I'm just asking. What set of circumstances are people actually waiting on? I mean, what more would the government need to do? It's like they got a think tank there in Langley. It's like they got a think tank there in, uh, you know, in, in, in the bowels of MI6 or, or, or Mossad or wherever, wherever the five eyes meets to, to, to have their high intelligence uh, officials or whoever run these deep state psyops. It's like they're sitting there with the blackboard and they're just brainstorming uh, which things they could try and take away from free people next without free people revolting. And again, when I say revolt, I don't even mean violently. I mean, there are no, there are not even any real substantial boycotts and protests. They just, they just smuggled, they're just smuggled LGBTQism into the military bill and they're going to make you pay for it. Another trillion dollars. Another trillion dollars and you got to pay for members of the United States military? to have transgender operations, sex changes? Not only that, but sex changes for their family members. It's like, I don't even know what, I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what to think about that. All I can think is we got to get this country on. This country's out of control. Our country is out of control. We're paying now for gender transformations, elective gender transformations. We're paying now. The United States government are paying tax dollars for our military men and women to become women and men. Or their loved ones, we're paying for gender transformation. That, that that's a good use of our resources. What what has happened here? Well, it it what I ask it rhetorically because we all know what happened. What happened is too many times we saw somebody who was speaking the truth, who was saying something inconvenient, and may have presented it or packaged it in a way that we didn't necessarily understand, but but more often 
we didn't necessarily want to take the heat of at that very moment. We watched that so many times, and before you knew it, it came and it knocked right on our door. But more importantly, it tapped you on your pocket. Back in the neighborhood, it was seen as a sign of disrespect if you tapped another man's pockets. Because it was kind of a gesture that you were like, you know, you were checking his, you checking his money, you were checking his pockets to see what he had. You might be thinking about taking his money is what, what it was kind of suggesting. And this tyrant has walked around the neighborhood and now it's came and knocked right on your door, but it's been tapping you on the pockets for a long time. And what they've told you is, ah, oh, don't worry about it. We're taking a little, we're skimming a little off the top, but you're not going to feel the pinch. You're not, you're not going to feel it. That's what they've been saying to you. You're not going to feel it. You're not going to feel, we, we, we're, we're going to take a little bit off the top. You're not going to feel it. You feel it now. I hope everybody feels it now. I hope everybody understands. I hope everybody gets it. I hope everybody's prepared. I don't want to see the, 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 the obnoxious, the obnoxious, oh, my goodness, we're going to all have to, you know, pick up arms. And No, you're not. You're not doing that. You don't have the, when, when that happens, you won't need to say it. Let's just put it that way. When that, when that time comes, nobody's going to have to say it. When that time comes, there won't be any talking. Right now, we're still in a talking phase, so let's do the, right to let's do the real talking. The real talk is a lot of people are unwilling to sacrifice the convenience and the luxury of what this corrupt establishment has provided in order to push back against that very establishment. That's the real talk. That's the reality. Some people taking payoffs. Some people in on the scam. Some people too dumb to see what the real problem is. Whatever it is, whatever whatever the problem, pick, pick one. I'm, it's a combination of all of them. A lot of media figures, big time media figures, big following. Want to play shadow games and shell games for, for likes and views and, 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 you know, pander to the algorithm or whatever the case may be. We all get to decide how the country burns now. And I hope for my last podcast, if you didn't take anything else away, please, please understand that the agenda to burn the country down is not, is not a, a, an agenda. Um, it's not an agenda that's that's being carried out uh, for the long term. The burning of the country has a has an end game to it. Notice how none of these no, notice how none of these elites ever want to do the die. If there's any sign that the the elites the the corporate political intellectual technology, scientific, managerial class of our society doesn't want to do the dying part. Look at our wars. Look at the ambition of our technology. But maybe most importantly, 
Look at them going to buy underground bunkers. They don't want to do the dying. They do not want to do the dying part. They think you don't deserve to live. They think you are useless. They, with their high priest, thought leader, Noah Yuval Harari, anti-Jew extraordinaire, you all are the useless ones. You common folk. So don't let anybody tell you that when they put the front on and they talk down about white people, that that they're in gold, that the 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 you know, the 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 grand sum of of what they're trying to do is all about self hatred and self loathing. These people don't hate themselves. These people are radical narcissists, megalomaniacal. They've created an ideology where the common white man or woman may have that sense of self-loathing and self-hatred. They don't share it. They think very highly of themselves. Understand that. Their end game is not about self-loathing and self-hatred. And so, and, and I say that because them watching the country burn, them watching a bunch of pink, purple-haired liberals who claim to be anti-fascists them watching a city like Portland or Minneapolis burn is only temporary. Only enough to destabilize peace, to destabilize law and order long enough for them to justify martial law. That's it. They are sending mindless, brainwashed sheep, drones, out on the mission, knowingly or unknowingly, to stoke fire and chaos just long enough for them to have a reason to justify martial law, to make you all beg for tyranny. When the time comes and we have to go that route as the American people, not going to need to talk about it. We're still in the talking stage, so let's just talk. The political activism has not even reached one-third of what would be reasonable given the circumstance that we're in. Not even a third. Look at the Republican Party. I, I keep using the example, the precinct strategy. I keep, I'm going to keep saying it until I'm blue in the face. Why is the Republican Party only one-third full? If we all hate the rhinos and we all hate how the RNC tries to railroad Donald Trump and we all hate how, you know, people like Mitt Romney and Mitchell McConnell and it was Kevin McCarthy and, and, and other people as well. We all hate how they, they you know, they, they have this sort of two-faced Republicanism, but none of us want to go into the party. None of 75 million people, 80 million people voted for Donald J. Trump, and there's only 144,000 Republican officers, party one third full. Getting people 
emotional, getting people immersed in, getting people obsessed about politics with no, with no activism, with no self-governance, with no involvement, with no commitment, is another psyop. It's another way to jerk. It's another, it's another jerk off. I want you to listen to Steve Bannon. I want you to listen to Alex Jones. I want you to listen to the great Owen Schroyer. I want you to listen to Jack Posobiec. I want you to listen to Sonny Johnson and Hotep Jesus. I want you to listen to whoever it is that's going to inspire you and whoever it is that can, can help articulate the direness of the situation that we're in in a way that you can comprehend. I want you to listen to political commentary. I want you to be aware of, but I want you to be aware of with action. That's what I'm doing. I'm leading by example. I could sit here and talk about politics for the next 10 years. I'm 32. I could talk politics for the next 40 years, and I may do so. But the point is you can't do it without the action, without the activism. I can't do it without organizing the 501c4 Free People of America and creating a citizens' union here in Minnesota that could then expand out and have chapters all across the country, maybe all across the world. And I don't say that as a globalist type of ambition. I say it as an anti-globalist ambition, as an anti-globalist citizens' union. The rise of populism, nationalist populism. I take you back to the, the, the debate between David Frum, neocon, rhino extraordinaire, Conservative thought leader, quote unquote, David Frum, from the great country of lost northern brothers, Canada, where Justin Trudeau just says, you know, hey, I'm, I'm a feminist. I will always, always proudly claim to be a feminist. Man has no sack. He has no sack. The man runs like a woman. He does. He runs like a woman. Scary to move the way the man runs. Scary that you could put a tailored suit on a man with no sack, and most people will know, will never know the wiser, never know better. The point is, <laughs> the point is, we we have not reached a level of activism where we could really complain uh, about what, 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 what's taking place here. I want you to listen to everybody, anybody. doesn't matter who you listen to. But our activism has to match. Our activism has to match. This is why the work, the grassroots work that needs to be done needs to be done. You can't skip that step. And the fun part about it is, it's 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 like a you know, and I I I relate so much of this to sports because the the similarities, especially from a philosophical standpoint, are so obvious. As a team, we have to do the basics first. We have to understand the basics, and then we have to be able to execute the basics first. Am I down in an athletic? Am I down in an athletic position? Am I two places at once? Am I trying to guess what's going to happen before it happens? What are my instincts like? Anticipation. 
is the number one skill. Vision. Vision is the number one attribute. To be able to anticipate is the number one skill in sports, but maybe in life. Can I see what's going to happen next? Can I see, and first of all, can I see, and then can I start to predict what's going to happen before it happens, before, uh, before everybody else? That's what separates good players from great players and bad players or average players. That's what separates them. It's the same thing with being a citizen. It's the same thing with being a community. It's the same thing with being a, 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 collective, a, a collective populace of a nation. We have to be able to deal with the basic, basics first. It's the same thing with being an anti-establishment, anti-globalist political movement. We have to deal with the basics first. And what's great about it, what's fun about it, is once you deal with the basics, now it starts to get fun. Once I can make basic pivots, once, I, once I'm down in an athletic stance, once I get my body strong enough to be able to handle the rigors, the, the physical rigors and strain of whatever task that sport requires me to do, once I've, once I've checked all those boxes, once I have all those things sorted out, then I can be creative. Then I can start to improvise. If I'm a jazz artist, I can't improvise. I, can, I can't improvise without knowing the, the, the basic scales. Maybe some people can. We would call those people savants, idiot savants. Prodigies. Most people, most people have to learn and deal with the basics first. Most people, an overwhelming majority. I tell my young players, I told both my, my young teams that the high school at the varsity level and the young guys at the, at the junior high level this past week, rarely are people successful on accident. Rarely are, do people have success, success by accident. And I think it's a great, a great Navy SEALs quote. Um, I think it was the Navy SEALs. You don't, you don't rise to the occasion. You sink to the level of your training. And I'm correlating this to sports and physical because, again, we have not dealt with the basics. The basics are what are the ideas? How are we formulating the ideas? We're starting to do that now. I think we're, that part of the movement's getting ironed out. And that's what part of talking with oratory and, and, and uh, composition through the social media and Internet has started to distill. We're starting to get the ideas, the root ideas, organized. So that's a good thing. Now, it took us a while, and part of it taking a while is because there's so many controlled opposition, little, little, you know, people out there in, in, in the field that distract us from distilling the thing down. And they seem friendly on a lot of things. But when it got right down to it at too many different junctures in this journey, we were distracted from distilling it down to exactly what we need to deal with. I think we've distilled it down. At least here on this show, we've distilled it down. The America First platform, the America First agenda is quite simple. 
the three most important issues, the border, the debt, the forever wars, all three, all three serve us up to the potential of a globalist machine. They serve us right up on a platter, all three of those issues, especially the way they're handled right now. Borders, our border, our debt, and our impetus to do war for far too fucking long. Another important issue, the elections, the integrity of elections. That's a basic. That's a basic, and we better get real clear about it, and we better get real comfortable talking about it, and we better get real serious about figuring out a solution. The integrity of our elections, absolutely. Big deal. Censorship, big deal. Those two stand alone. Free speech censorship, what the media has become in this country, stands alone on its own. The integrity of elections stands alone. Comes before, any, I mean, well before. But the three issues are very simple. The border, the debt, the forever wars. So we started to distill, distill the ideas down. And I think people overwhelmingly are getting a, a you know, a, a sort of wake-up call to just how blatant the establishment has been in, in being on the wrong side of these issues. Try to undermine the people. Which is a good thing. Now we got to match it with some action. We got to go into the Republican Party. Hell, Go into the Democrat Party. Good luck changing that one. All these black folks out there say, oh, the Republicans are just like the Democrats. No, they're not. The structures aren't even really the same, from my experience. But the vertical integration definitely isn't the same. And they tell you that. right? This isn't, this isn't conjecture. I'm not just saying it. This isn't bias because I'm running as a Republican. You think it's by accident that I'm running as a Republican? The proof is in the pudding. The Democrats aren't the, the, the Democrats aren't um, discussed in the mainstream media industrial complex machine as being at odds with one another. They're not berated and shamed for being in conflict within the party. There's a reason for that. Because for the most part, they agree on all the pertinent issues. The Republicans right now greatly due to the leadership of Donald Trump and the rise of, of nationalist populism through the leadership of a Steve Bannon, through the 20 years of work of, of, of an Alex Jones and many others. The split in the Republican Party is profound which is why MSNBC has to bring on Republican Republican after Republican, Rhino Republican after Republican, like Chris Christie, just like Chris Christie. But they got their lineup. They got their revolving, you know, they got their revolving door. 
They got their list of Republicans who come on and say, MAGA extremists. <laughs> These MAGA extremists, they're, they're Donald Trump cultists. Like, we're stupid, and, and they're not doing it for us because they know we, we know better. You can't shit. Where, where we are, where the ultra-MAGA nationalist populists citizens are, we can't be shamed into changing our mind. They're not doing it on us. They're spending every resource they can to keep other people who have been brainwashed, who are still sleeping at the wheel, to keep them from seeing the truth of what we're saying. That's what they're doing. That's why they're going out of the way and spending every resource they have in order to, to preserve that narrative. And the desperation is getting very obvious. Oh, it's getting so, so obvious. The desperation to try and hold on to the narrative and control the narrative is so obvious. Well, we only like Donald Trump because uh, he's corrupt? We, we, we only like Donald Trump because he said, uh, locker room talk. I was laughing the other day. I still find it funny with the, the, the locker room talk situation. Because so many guys acted like they didn't know what Donald Trump meant when he said locker room talk. And one of two things, it became very obvious that people are just lying, that pe people are dishonest, right? Which we know people hold different views in private than they do in public. That's just part of, of, of society. Um, but also that a lot of guys didn't spend time, enough time, maybe didn't spend enough time in the locker room. Because as soon as I heard him say locker room talk, I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that, that is what it is. It's funny, for sure. And when they went, when the, when, the, when the opposition came back and went, locker room talk, that's not how people talk in a locker room. I was like, oh, shit, dude, never been in a locker room. That guy's never been in a locker room. Hey, look at that guy. He's never been in a locker room. It's like in the movie The 40 Year Old Virgin <laughs> when Steve Carroll is just sitting at the, at the table. They're playing poker, and, uh, and they're, they're telling the story about, you know, about a woman's breasts. And, and, they, tell, and they tell, actually, that was kind of a, a form of an example of, of locker room talk depicted in the movies in Hollywood. It's mainstream. That's kind of ironic in a way, but anyway, so that you know they're sitting there playing poker at the at the electronic store after hours, and and they're having this you know they're they're going around the table and telling stories uh, about about their their encounters with women, their their, their sexual uh, exploits, and uh, they get to Steve Carell, who's obviously the the main character of the movie and and the forty year old virgin, and uh, he starts to describe a woman's breast, and he describes it as a bag of sand. And the other guys look at him and they go, what? Have, have you ever felt a, a woman's breast before? A bag of sand? You're like, what? And, uh, and Seth Rogen is the first one who finally goes, he's a virgin, right? And that's just, I mean, it's just kind of funny. Like, it's, it's funny how some of these movies, uh, how, how real life, how art imitates real life in, in, in some of these things. But um, that's exactly what I thought. With the, with the whole locker room talk deal is, man, some of these guys are lying. Some of these guys are lying their ass off, and some of these guys did not spend enough time in the locker room, if at all.
And I'm not saying that guys couldn't do better in, in the way that they talk in the locker room. I mean, I'm just not saying that. But what I will say is Donald Trump was a, a genuine expression, an authentic expression of where we are as a people, not where we want to pretend to be. And that's part of the that's part of the edifice of this liberal movement. It's it's uh, it's it's pretend. It's make believe. It's pretentious. It acts like it's one thing, but it's not. It acts like it's pro-human or that it's pro-child or that it's pro-black people or that it's pro-women when it's not. When it's not, it's only, it, it, it only is when it's convenient to be. Because when you're anti-American, when you're anti-Constitution, then you're anti-civil rights, you're anti-citizenship, then you're actually anti-man, woman, and child. You're anti-freedom. You're anti you're anti-justice. You're anti-black, white, yellow, green. Doesn't matter. You just become an antithesis. You just become anti. Antifa. I don't care. But it's not about fascism. Give me a break. There's nothing more fascist. There's nothing more fascist than the corporate community becoming overwhelmingly bent in one direction politically. And 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 throwing around that that you know that that leverage uh, on people who have much 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 less than they do. There's nothing more fascist than that. You know they want to pretend like fascism only exists when a political movement rises up and their political leaders become powerful or popular, and then and then have a uh, and then have some some official position. That's not the only way fascism occurs. That's the way the, the fascist story is told of Nazi Germany. But that's not the only way fascism occurs or can occur or is, you know, can, can happen. What about when you live under a corporatocracy and the corporations levy their influence on the political process and politicians so much that they start to become a merger of the state. What happens when the corporation merges with the state? Is that not fascism? When the corporation merges with the state, is that not fascism? This, 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 isn't, this isn't really a shock. I mean, if you pay close enough attention, what they're doing to Donald Trump isn't a shock. What they're doing to Donald Trump was, was indicated several hundred miles back down the road. When they took Donald Trump off of Twitter the first time, that was a sign of the times to come. When they impeached him, when they indicted him, when they went on shows like The View or MSNBC or Real Time with Bill Maher, who people give a pass to, I don't. I don't, I don't give a shit how moderate he tries to present himself to be. I know a cuck when I see one. Anybody who would marry a woman that, that went by the alias Superhead is a cuck. That's just the reality, sir. And, you know, and they're so and they're so loose with the way, you know, and that's one of the reasons they won't invite me on. Right. Is because I'm not one of these politicians. First of all, I'm not really a politician. I mean, I guess by default, I'm a politician because I'm in politics, but I'm not really a politician. 
And, and so, you know, we, you know, we, we've, we've created this culture where you got the politicians over here and you got the commentators and TV and entertainers over here. And they, they got to play by a different set of rules because the American populace, the people, want their politicians to act one way and they want their entertainers to act another way. And, and never the twain shall meet, but they do meet on rare occasion when the Bill Maher gets to talk about politics every fucking night on his entertainment show. And you got people who are in the crowd and clapping like there's actually an intellectual dialogue taking place. And sometimes there is when the real hitters like Steve Bannon show up. But for the most part, they get James Carville who comes on and pairs the party line on a bunch of fucking propaganda. And the point I'm making is, you know, part of their rejection and resentment towards Donald Trump is he was a hybrid. He was a guy who was somewhat of an entertainer, somewhat of a corporate and business elite that that just happened to become a politician. And they don't like that because in, in some cases he won't play by the same rules that are expected that have come to be expected for every other politician. And they try and pretend that that brash, braggadocious sort of asshole, you know, uh, persona is what they don't like. No, they don't like it because it's being done to them. They don't like him being able to, they don't like a politician being able to do it. They like their politicians. The entertainment world, the commentators have always sat at a level above the politicians uh, with, with this sort of leverage and, and, and ability to be able to, to, to attack politicians with, with no counter. With no retaliation. But we can say what we want to you, and then if you say anything back, you look like you're not calm, cool, and collective enough to be an elected official. Bullshit. It's bullshit. It's ridiculous. It's dishonest. It's dishonest. To the highest degree. And so they didn't like Donald Trump, but they damn sure wouldn't like me. They damn sure wouldn't like me. Because how does Bill Maher get all, how does Bill Maher even get, Bill, Bill, you married a woman and you, 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 you know, you, you kissing a woman in the mouth who's, who's, you know, suck more guys off than, than you could possibly, you know, anybody could fucking count. That's the truth. Who are you to who are you to be the moral arbiter or the moral authority or judge? Who are you to poke fun and make little snarky jokes? And the point I made, you can tell these guys have never been in any fights. The way they talk, they talk with no temperance, they talk with no sacred honor, they talk with no no sense of 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 consequence, and they like it that way. And they like the world that way, and they think the world they think the world operates that way, but the real world doesn't operate that way. So increasingly, they're trying to create a fictitious world. They're trying to create a fantasy world where they can operate that way with no consequences. But then you want to go to war with the Russians? You can't go to war with the Russians and not deal in reality. And this is the point that Donald Trump was trying to make. This is what they, this is why they don't like him. This is why they won't like me. Because I'm just going to say, you're a cuck. I don't care how I don't I don't care if the other cucks, if the cuck brigade back there behind the scenes 
put their money together and threw down on you to be able to have a show in this huge audience or exposure or platform or, or voice or whatever. That's, that's neither here nor there to me. I'm still dealing in reality. You're a cuck. And you could have two million cucks watching you a night, and they could all cheer from the peanut gallery. Wouldn't change who you are. Wouldn't change what you are. Only, only actually being something different could change who and what you are. No amount of multipl- uh, multiplied propagation can can change who and what you are. No amount of no amount of teachers at the school or guidance counselors or doctors or with the white coats or anybody telling a young boy that he's a woman can make it so. But that's the world they want to create. They don't want to have to deal in reality. Well, the only way to get you to concede, the only way to get your consent, the only way for them to get massive consent, not dealing in reality, is if they get you high. If they get you high enough not to pay close attention. That's it. They get you high and they control the narrative. They get you high, they control the narrative. They get you high, they change the narrative. They get you high, they control the narrative. They get you high, they damage control the narrative. They get you high, they change the narrative. They get you high, they control the narrative, and on and on and on and on and on. And right now the narrative is Donald Trump is too racist to be president. Donald Trump is too uh, rude to be a leader. Donald Trump is too uh, unstable to have his finger on the nuclear button. Donald Trump is too any number of things. Donald Trump is too popular and too well-liked and now too vindicated for his policy approaches for them to easily discredit him. That's the only thing Donald Trump is too, too balls deep in on this establishment. And so the desperation is going to go to another level. They're going to pour it on. And when they pour the desperation on, when, when they pour the lawfare on the way they're doing in Colorado, they're not doing it to Donald. They're not doing it to Donald Trump. They're doing it to test you. When they whoop a man's ass out there in the streets, when the police whoop a man's ass out there in the streets, it ain't, you know, yeah, that man's taking the ass whooping. It ain't going to feel good. It's going to hurt. It's a problem for him, no doubt. He's having a bad day. But the, the greater impact is on you, all of you who watched, all of you who stood there and came up with an excuse why you should just stand there. That's who it's really meant for. That's how psychological... That's how, that's how psychological dominance works. And we all know this. We, we all know that's how it works. That ain't new. That ain't nothing new. Psychological dominance works by setting an example, making an example out of. This was the Willie Lynch address. Oh, you know, you have your, your, your pro-black, scholars, intellectuals, 
academics come out of left field now and say, the Willie Lynch address is not real. Okay. Well, let's just say, theoretically speaking, what was conveyed in the Willie Lynch address is the nature of psychological oppression or psychological Stockholm syndrome in some cases. A deep psychological Stockholm syndrome. It says in the Willie Lynch address that they would take the biggest, strongest black man they could find and they would beat him within an inch of his life. And then they would tie his body to two horses and they would send the horses in opposite directions until it would literally pull the man's body apart. And they would do this in front of all the other slaves. And they would especially, and while they did it in front of the other slaves, they were really doing it for the woman. That was the, in, the, the intended, the, the target audience. Yeah, we're going to let all the slaves see it, but it's really intended for her. And the reason why is because she was the sole source of, of spiritual and emotional intelligence amongst the community of slaves. And through her nature, uh, she would able she was able to wield a lot of power, a lot of a lot of influence uh, 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 over over the men. And in that influence, as it spelled out in the Willie Lynch address, she became the greatest guard dog for the slave master. Her being the guard dog for the slave master didn't work in the way where she actually stood guard against revolt. No, it didn't work in that way. It wasn't her standing at the door ready to sound the alarm with her voice if ever other slaves were going to rise up and try and overthrow uh, uh, you know, their, their, uh, their bond, their, their chains and, and bonds with their captors. It wasn't that. It was in the way that she raised the children. She would raise her children in reverse roles. This was spelled out in the Willie Lynch address. If you've never read it, you need to go read it tonight. And take the race part out of it. I mean, I know the race thing is, it, it, it kind of confounds people. Take the race out of it. Understand that what was done to certain groups of people, many groups of people, not just blacks, but many groups of people all throughout history has now reached an accumulative point where they're going to test, I'm sorry, they're going to apply what they've tested on multiple groups of people throughout history. And so you can see what was done to black people through slavery or, or, or other time periods in history or other groups of people in history now is gonna, was a pilot of what they're going to try and do to all of us. And that may be the most important thing to, to, to talk about when talking about race and the history of race in this country or around the world is what was done to us is now going to be done to all. That's where we are in this country. That's where we are in this moment in history. The oppressive things that were done to some are now going to be tried on all. And in this case with the Willie Lynch address, what it said is they would take the biggest, strongest Negro and they would beat him within an inch of his life. And they would tie his body 
to two horses and they would send the horses in opposite directions until it pulled that man's body apart. And it would leave the woman's image of the man, the black slave, the black women slaves, it would leave the image of the man broken in her mind, so much so that she would raise her offspring in reverse roles. She would raise her sons to be women and her women to be men. And her girls, she would raise her sons to be women and her daughters to be men. And this, this would make her the greatest guard dog of the slave master because that young man who wanted to, who would naturally rise up and have a problem with authority that wasn't righteous, that wasn't, that wasn't close enough to a submission of God, because that's the only real authority that man can accept with, with any, with any real genuine spirit. Any other authority man is naturally going to reject is naturally going to rebel against. Even God's authority man have rebelled against. But Christ showed that it can, it can be done. Christ led the way for it to be done. But anything outside of that, man is going to rebel. And so that young rebellious man that that woman raised up in a reverse role knows, knows that she and by way of the establishment, will never have to fear revolt. A cuck society. I don't know if you get it. When I say cuck society, people think that I'm just being silly or off the cuff. No, this stuff has deep, profound philosophical significance. We are living in a cuck society where men have been neutered through women at the behest of a corrupt establishment, a corrupt status quo. This is the reality. So of course they want to make Donald Trump seem like he's a little too brash. He's a little, he's a little too He's a little too honest. That's what they really should just come out and say. This fucking guy's a little too honest. We don't like the, we don't like how honest he is. <laughs> Cause that's what they I mean, that's what they're really showing us. They don't like how honest he is. That's that's all that we're seeing. They don't they can't trust him. I don't care if they knew him before, if he was in the in crowd before, if the bill, I don't know what I can't speak to what every man has done in every every moment of his life. All I can tell you is I can look at the results and I can damn well infer the lot of the motive. They do not trust that man. They, whoever them are, do not trust Donald Trump or else they would not spend so much time and energy and resources to take him out. And when they take him out, they would not. It, it, the taking him out in such a public way isn't intended for him. They're not choosing to go after him in a public way, in a public square, to 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 torture and and uh, and to um, to to torture him. 
It doesn't work like that. When does it work like that throughout history? Everybody knows. If you go up against the constabulary, if you go up against the king, if you go up against the establishment or the emperor, whoever it is, if you make it too inconvenient, they'll kill you in a snap of, with the snap of their fingers just to, you know, just to have a more quiet day. When you go up against the rich and powerful, they'll kill you with the snap of their fingers just so they don't have to deal with the inconvenience anymore. And if you think they couldn't do that to Donald Trump, you're lying to yourself again because they could. They blew John F. Kennedy's head off. They could do Donald Trump the same way. And we'd all like to think there'd be an uprising if, he, if, if they did. But the proof is kind of in the pudding, isn't it? Not really. Not so much. Sad to say, not so much. So this, this witch hunt against Donald Trump ain't to torture him. It's to send a message to you. It's to send a message to you. Look what we can do to you. Look how we can, look how we can other you. Look how we can craft a narrative about you. Look how we can wage the, the, the gravity and, the, and the, the weight of the legal system or America's government against you. Look what we're capable of. That's the message they intend to send. This has been another episode of Please Call Me Crazy, brought to you by Free People Radio, empowered by our favorite sponsor, TireGit.com. That's TireGit.com. You have to buy tires from somebody. You might as well buy them from us. Help fund the movement. Help support the movement. We believe in the freedom of movement, and that's exactly what the establishment means to take from you now. I am your host, Royce White, here in the belly of the beast, Minneapolis, Minnesota. This was episode 145. I hope to have another episode tomorrow for you. However, I'm scheduled to interview the great Alex Jones and the great Owen Scheuer this week, and I dare not put those interviews up on YouTube out of fear of having my channel taken down. So what we're going to do is we're going to put those interviews up on Rumble and Twitter, X, and the audio platforms, and they're going to run them on War Room. Uh, shout out to the entire War Room posse, the great Steve Bannon, Maureen Bannon, Grace Strong, the whole crew over there that makes the War Room Machine work. We deeply appreciate you. Um, we're going to run those interviews of those two American patriots on the other platforms so we won't have episodes on YouTube. I'm not going to do an entirely different episode for YouTube. So the next time you may see us will be episode 148. Please follow us on Rumble. You can follow on, on, on X. You can follow War Room. You can still listen to the podcast because they, they, they've, been, they've been good about allowing uh, me to put otherwise controversial and censored figures on the audio platform. So at least you'll be able to listen to the podcast. Um, so we're going dark on YouTube for the next couple of days. But, hey, I may pop in still and do another, uh, another podcast um, this week. And if not... Merry Christmas to you all. Merry Christmas to you all. Happy holidays. Enjoy the holidays. We're closing in on the new year. 2024 is, is sure to be uh, one of the most important historic years in American history. I'm going to see you before the new year, obviously. We're going to do a few few podcasts before the new year. But I just want to say in closing, this this thing that, that's happening in Colorado is a, a Colorado is a bullhorn. It's a bullhorn, bullhorn for tyranny. It's a bullhorn for lawfare. 
legal lawfare. And it's not about Donald Trump. It's about you. They mean to send a message. If you push too hard, we can crush you. And we can crush you and we can get everybody else to watch while we crush you because that's how much power we have now. We're going to see where the Supreme Court ends up on the deal. We're going to see what candidates will stand with Donald Trump now that this, this has been thrown into the mix. Because now you're going to see the Republicans, now you're going to see the Republican candidates that really start to start to fear that what Chris Christie is saying on the mainstream media industrial complex liberal propaganda might be true. Donald Trump won't be the candidate. He's going to be disqualified from the ballots. And Colorado may have went first, and now you may see some other states try a similar thing. We don't know what's going to happen yet. We're in the fog of war, the law of uncertain outcomes. But my, my encouragement to you is there's never been more people waking up. When I, when I put that launch video out and I get those mess- hundreds and hundreds of messages saying, thank you, we appreciate the fight, we, we support you. And it's not just white conservatives like they want to paint a, a, a caricature of with Morning, Joe, uh, Morning Mika and Cuck Joe. It's everybody. It's everybody. It's a diverse group of people. So um, that's it for me. We'll see you over on the other platforms for Alex Jones and Owen Schroyer for the rest of the week. Maybe this weekend we'll get another podcast in. If not, we'll see you next week. Have a Merry Christmas. Enjoy the family. Remember the sacrifice, the love, the charity, the grace of God through his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Um, I appreciate your viewership and listenership again today and in the future. The fight continues, and as always, Godspeed. We have here Riley Miller. He's a law student at Drake University and a clerk in the Marion County Attorney's Office. He's a Republican who is currently undecided. Riley? Thank you. Uh, On the debate stage, you have somewhat abandoned uh, the... Uh, tact and diplomacy that I would look for in a president. I'm all for uh, keeping it real and dogging the establishment, but there's a gravitas in, uh, that I look for in those who represent our country. How do you see the balance between keeping it, being authentic yep. and maintaining that presidential demeanor? 